Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. Hello, everyone. I'm Matt Clark, uh, research analyst with Money and Markets here with your weekend edition of the Bull and the Bear podcast. Uh, I do want to remind you that if you uh, that you make sure you're checking out our website, moneymarkets.com, each and every day. That's where uh, we provide safe, sound, smart, simple, profitable investment information for your portfolio. Uh, Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell, Greens on Fortunes co-editor Charles Sizemore, myself, the rest of our team, we all work very hard each and every day, including the weekends, uh, to make sure we give you that information. While you're there, make sure you sign up for our free daily e-letter. Uh, in it, you'll get all that information uh, sent to you into your email box for free every single day. Also, I do want to make sure that you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you're uh, listening to this as audio, or maybe you just caught on to this uh, on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed to our channel. Just uh, go to youtube.com, search uh, Money and Markets. You'll find our green bull and bear logo. We've got a lot of great content on there, uh, all stuff from Adam, Charles, myself. Just go to YouTube.com, do that search, uh, and then make sure you mash that button and subscribe, and uh, you'll be able to see all the great content that we put out each and every week. Now, today, uh, we're going to dive into market returns uh, and, and see if there's something on the horizon that could impact those returns. We all know the market has been uh, doing very well uh, you know, in a broader term. Of course, there's ups and downs, but uh, J.P. Morgan Chase uh, recently came out with a study that, that tracked the average returns of the S&P 500 over the first 100 days of a president's tenure. Now, this would be from Inauguration Day through the first 100 days. Uh, and it's, it was interesting to see because the common misnomer here uh, is, is that if a Democrat is in the White House, returns are traditionally lower than if a Republican is in the White House. Now, I don't want to get political because that's not the whole point of this, but I will tell you that that's absolutely not true. Uh, and, and, and it's been shown over the course of many, many uh, administrations that is not true. The report out here uh, that J.P. Morgan Chase did found that S&P 500 returns under President Joe Biden are nearly 25% compared to actually less than 15% under President Donald Trump. Uh, it's the highest average return of any president in the last 75 years, and it's more than double the average return of any Republican president since after World War II. Um, however, there could be something on the horizon that kind of hampers those strong returns. Biden has actually proposed an increase to what's called the capital gains tax rate. Now, this is a tax on the profit of investments when individuals and corporations sell those investments. Basically, if you buy a stock, the stock goes higher. When you sell the stock at that higher price, you're going to pay a tax on the gains that you made. Uh, and it can also apply to homes, uh, even businesses. If you buy a business, it goes up in value. You sell it, you pay a capital gains tax on the profit you made by selling the business. Now, the Biden proposal uh, includes includes raising the top capital gains tax rate from about 23.8%, which is where it is today, to 43.4% for those who are earning more than a million dollars. Now, uh, the top end tax rate for capital gains has remained fairly flat for a, a good portion of the last 50, 60, 70 years. Um, and the amount of those gains, however, that, that people are making, the capital gains that people are making, uh, hit a record of $943 billion in 2018. The taxes collected or 170 billion. Uh, now, the idea is to use the increase in capital gains taxes uh, to fund infrastructure and social spending like Biden's massive infrastructure bill. Uh, if a new tax rate takes effect, it could make taxes on investments actually higher than taxes on wages or salary, according to Bloomberg. Uh, one thing to note, the Wall Street Journal did find that taxpayers who filed a Schedule D form, which is the, where you report your capital gains uh, uh, losses or gains over the course of a year, 
um, less than 3% of those who filed a Schedule D form had a gross income of a million dollars or more. However, that group made up 62% of all capital gains, according to 2018 IRS data. Another part of the tax proposal is that unrealized gains would trigger taxes uh, when the owner dies, uh, when the owner of the asset actually dies. Right now, you don't have to pay taxes until you actually sell your asset. So you don't pay it until you sell the stock, you sell the home, you sell the business. But now, if the owner dies, the unrealized gains will trigger those taxes. The Wall Street Journal found uh, two-thirds of, of U.S. families would actually have some kind of unrealized gains, but most would be covered by a $1 million exemption. Now, the big question here, and the one I'm going to bring in, uh, Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell and Greens on Fortunes co-editor Charles Sizemore, is what kind of impact is this tax hike, if it does go through, there's no guarantee that it's going to go through. There's going to be a lot of uh, Potomac two-stepping and uh, Washington negotiating and, and, and things like that. Again, don't want to get political. What I want to focus on today is what kind of impact this tax hike could have on investments, on returns, on the market, and what kind of impact it'll have for people who are investing uh, down the road. So first, I'm going to bring in uh, uh, Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell. Adam, welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us this weekend. And I know I just blurted out a bunch of stuff out there to you. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of time to digest. But again, I want to know kind of what impact could this capital gains tax hike have uh, on investments and returns moving forward? Yeah, that's a big ball of wax, but let me kind of uh, disentangle it just a bit. Uh, I did write an article on this uh, about this on moneyandmarkets.com. So uh, listeners and, and readers can check that out. Um, so to highlight some of the points that we made there, I, I think it's going to have minimal to no effect on the market. Uh, you saw uh, the Thursday or Friday, the, the news came out a week or two ago, and the market was down that day, but it quickly recovered. So it was kind of like this headline selling. And then the next day, people were like, oh, so what? Um, one, you alluded to that uh, the if it gets passed. So, you know, it's, it's certainly by far no guarantee that it will get passed. And in fact, most people uh, think it's less likely to get passed. Second of all, um, I think it's just over half a million, you know, 540 some house, households, U.S. households that would be affected by this. So that's like 0.3% of the U.S. population that makes over a million dollars per year. So it's uh, it's only affecting a sliver of the of the actual population. Now, granted, there's a disproportionate number of those uh, folks that are invested in the market, but still, there's another study that shows that 75% of accounts are basically um, qualified pre-tax retirement accounts, 401k, IRAs, and and that's where the capital gains uh, preferential tax treatment does not apply. So, um, so I, I think it's going to have very little, if if any, effect on. Uh, the market in general, the market's trend in general. Um, so we saw that kind of in the short-term reaction. The long-term reaction, you have to ask, like, you know, are, are these investors not going to suddenly stop investing just because their cap gains rate is, uh, you know, somewhat higher? It's not going to be 43%, but even if it was something higher, are they going to stop investing just because of that? Um, so I, I think the answer is no, whether they stay invested in equities or whether they, you know, look to more tax-efficient uh, structures like ETFs, or maybe they get into futures trading. I, not many people know it, but uh, futures trading has 60-40 tax treatment. So you could hold a futures contract for one day, and 60% of those gains could be taken as long-term capital gains and 40% as short-term gains. This is not tax advice, but that's one advantage of trading uh, futures. So you know, maybe there'll be some shifts around in, in how they uh, try, not, not, not try to dodge the taxes, but become more tax-efficient investors. But I don't think it's going to have a dramatic effect on the uh, you know, the direction of the broad equity markets. Uh, Charles, um, Greens and Fortunes quarter, Charles Sizemore, again, welcome to you as well. Um, do you, is this an issue, you know, and we're not tax, we're not tax experts, we're not accountants or anything like that by any stretch. Um, but, but does this, uh, would this capital gains tax um, have 
any kind of uh, of a, of a maybe, maybe a mental block for people who want to invest down the road, like retail investors uh, who are hoping to reach that million dollar mark? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question with a question of my own. Let, let's say it, it, you personally, hypothetically, your capital gains tax rate jumped from you know 20 to 40% tomorrow. Would you quit investing? Me personally? Yes. No. That's, that's my point. I, if you're, you know, people that invest are going to invest. There may be some small sliver at the margin who for ideological reasons or, or psychological reasons or whatever, just decide that, okay, well, this is no longer worth it. But that's going to be a really, really small sliver. And I, I, I tend to agree with Adam. I just, I don't think it's going to, to matter all that much. We've had, you know, tax rates today, just in general, across the board, are some of the lowest they've been in, in U.S. Well, can't say in U.S. history because we essentially had zero taxes in, in the early days of the Republic. But certainly in, in modern history, uh, tax rates are very low. And they're, they're certainly low by international standards as well. Is it really going to, is, is it going to move the needle that much? And the answer is no. Now, I would also go back in time a bit. Prior to the, the George W. Bush tax cuts, the, uh, the estate tax kicked in at very, very low wealth levels. You really didn't, you weren't, you, you could get snagged into the, into the estate tax if you had, I want to say it was like 600,000, if your estate was 600,000. Don't quote me on that exact number, but it was, it was close, a very, yeah. a very yeah. low threshold. It was well under a million anyway. Nobody ever paid it. Like we had this tax and it was draconian. I mean, it was a nasty tax. I mean, if you got snagged in that, you were, half your money was gone. But nobody paid it because it was very easy to get around it. There were very well-established legal loopholes to avoid paying that tax. Now, I, I can't promise there will be loopholes for anything Biden passes now. But as you said, there's always, this is Washington, D.C. There's always, you know, there's always some nefarious dealings going on behind closed doors. I'm sure the people writing these laws don't want to pay the taxes themselves. They will find a way to uh, the, the loopholes will be created. So I, I tend to agree here. It's not nice. Nobody wants to pay more in taxes. I certainly don't. I'm a bit of a nut job when it comes to avoiding taxes. I'll like avoid meals in order to put more money into my 401k because that's how <laughs> against paying taxes I am. But even I look at this and I say it, it's not likely to make a huge difference. I think that, that, that optically, this looks very good. When you can say that you're going to tax the wealthy and not tax the middle class or the lower class, optically, that looks very good. The thing is, is that it's not a tax that's going to, one, generate the amount of money that I think we're, we're talking about trying to generate here to pay for almost $2 trillion infrastructure bill. It's a drop and, in the bucket. And two, it's not going to impact the massive swath of millionaires that I think we all think are around that, that really aren't. So, I, you know, I... I understand it. I get it. I don't want to get political about it, but I, you know, I just think that it's one of those things that it, it, it looks good on paper. Uh, it, it looks good to the voting masses, but at the end of the day, what it really equates to is a lot less than I think people realize. Now, Adam, um, the first hundred days of the Biden administration have seen a, a, a strong, strong movement in returns for the S and P 500. Um, is this going to continue? Do you see this? And, and I don't know, I don't mean to get you to peer into the, the magical Adam O'Dell crystal ball here, but I'm going to ask you to appear in the Adam O'Dell crystal ball. Are, are is the strength, is there enough strength behind these returns uh, to keep this momentum going? Yeah, I mean, we're obviously going to have short-term ups and downs along the way. And, uh, you know, we don't try to time the market precisely. So 
Uh, but generally, you know, equity markets are bullish over the long run. We've just come out of a major shock and, and recession brought about by the coronavirus. Um, a lot of my indicators and uh, are indicating that the the new all-time highs that you're seeing in a lot of markets, whether indices or sectors, are healthy. Um, the breadth is good, meaning that a majority of stocks are participating in those all-time highs uh, or new highs, and uh, you know, supporting the market in a broad-based way rather than just a few of the names uh, holding up the indices. Although you certainly do have some concentration in the things and whatnot, but yeah, most of my uh, my stuff, my indicators are looking uh, rather bullish and rather healthy market, but. Um, you know, rather than trying to call the the overall broad market direction, you know, one one tactic uh, investors and one strategy uh, investors can employ is a more short term tactical approach. And you know, I, I read this you know first hundred days post inauguration analysis, and I I just I looked at a different time frame to figure out. Uh, I basically looked at the first one hundred trading days after the November election was decided, both in twenty sixteen for Trump and in twenty twenty or twenty nineteen rather uh, twenty twenty uh, for uh, Biden. And so I kind of looked at different sectors and different uh, parts of the market that were up or down over those first 100 days, once the world knew who the president would be, you know, inauguration days on a lag. But you, you know in November who your president is, you can start making. Uh, in your intro, you talked about the, the supposition or the belief that Democrats, Democratic presidents, uh, that the stock market doesn't do as well. And it's just a simple story that, you know, Democratic presidents, uh, people think that they're less pro-business than uh, Republican uh, Republican presidents, but as you as you alluded to, you don't really see that in the actual stock market returns. So I came to the same conclusion on my different time frame analysis: the first 100 trading days uh, post uh, election day. So if you just look at the S and P 500 uh, under Biden, it was up 14.6 percent. Under Trump, it was up 8.5 percent. Um, more interestingly, you know, you can look at uh, interest rates. Interest rates were up a lot more. The 10-year note uh, left 80% under Biden versus 14% under Trump. Um, the VIX, the volatility crushed lower, more under Biden, down 30% versus down 10% in Trump. Uh, some of those have a base effect, meaning the starting point was different. So you can't read too much into those. But I mean, it's interesting that some of the narratives, uh, you talk about pro-business or you know, anti-regulation, the energy sector was the top performing sector under Biden, uh, uh, under the first 100 days after Biden's win, energy sector was up 49% versus Trump. The energy sector was was the only sector that was down in his first 100 days. Uh, financial stocks did well under both well, first 100 days of both presidents. Um, interestingly, Italy and South Korea were the top two markets uh, among the top 15 economies in the world under both presidents. I don't know why that is. Um, China was the worst performing uh, in the first 100 days under Biden. Um, Russia was one of the top three best performing uh, markets under Trump. Um, but again, some of these narratives are flipped. So, you know, you had Trump talking about getting rid of Obamacare. But uh, if you look at industry groups, the healthcare services and the healthcare equipment industry groups were the top performing industry groups under uh, Trump's first 100 days. Whereas under Biden's first 100 days, it was uh, oil and gas exploration companies and oil and gas equipment companies. So again, that was just basically the antithesis of the of the you know the party line, the story at the time. Um, in the junk in the in the bond markets, uh, junk bonds were the top performing market under both administrations uh, for the first 100 days. Uh, Long-term treasuries were the worst, so basically uh, interest rates rose. Uh, during the first 100 days and um, so then if you just look at more broadly i mean who had the better returns so i looked at you know a, a grouping of 80 or so major market etfs in the reaction first 100 days under both presidents um, so of those 80 or so markets uh, biden had 27 markets that were up more than 10 percent 
and Trump only had seven. And if you look at markets that were up 15% or more over those first 100 days, Trump had none and Biden has 16. So certainly the market has, has leapt uh, more under Biden. Uh, now that doesn't mean it's gonna be uh, the, the same scorekeeping uh, you know, three and a half years from now. Uh, but for now, I think that we are seeing a bullish market. Uh, I'm playing sector trends. So in, in my uh, options trading service, Home Run Profits, we hopped on the energy sector trend. We hopped on the financial sector trend. And so I'm less concerned about the overall broad market. We do have our you know, stop losses and, and you know, downside triggers in place, but I'm kind of going where the money is and, and shorter term sector trends. And I think that's a great way to play this market. Now, real quickly, Charles, you, you hear this analysis that Adam gives about backdating a little bit going from uh, November, I believe it was sixth and, the first, and then the 100 trading days following that. You hear that as an investor, what 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 do you think about that? What is that? What is that? What does that process? What does that make you think? As well, it's a couple of things. You know, it, it, we're focusing on these these first one hundred days, but if you look at the bigger picture, we've we've said okay, stocks do about the same under Democrats and Republicans. Well, let's actually put numbers to that. So uh, an analyst named uh, Bob French actually compiled what the return numbers looked like when you had divided government or when you had one party in control of everything. Because at the end of the day, it's not just the president, there's Congress and everything else. And what he found that was, I think, going back to 1926 or thereabouts, uh, when you had Republicans controlling um, the presidency and both houses of Congress, just you know, Republican sweep across the board, stocks returned about 15% a year. Okay, that's good. Well, it was exactly the same when Democrats, I mean, like the same to two decimal points. You actually had to go out three decimal points to get to get a difference. And I actually don't remember which one was higher, but it, it, three decimal points. Otherwise, when Democrats were in charge of the White House and both houses of Congress, it was the same. It was about 15%. Now, when you had a Democrat in the White House and Republican control of at least one branch of government, I'm sorry, one, uh, one House of Congress, which was how it was for most of the Clinton and Obama years, right? Uh, the numbers are actually a little bit better. It was about 17% a year. So where it, where it actually got a little bit worse is when you had a Republican in the White House and the Democrats controlling one or both houses of Congress, the number jumped down to about seven or dropped down to about seven. Now you take that with a grain of salt, of course, it's not like the government is, you know, the ones just doing the puppet strings on everything. There's a lot else going on out there. And Another takeaway, of course, is the most powerful man in Washington is actually not the president, it's the Federal Reserve chairman. And uh, as we've been, you know, really, we've been really bullish on gold, for example, and we've been talking about that really all year. And a big reason for our bullishness on gold is the fact that the Fed has essentially doubled its balance sheet uh, over the last year. Uh, not quite doubled, but, but pretty close to it. So when you have an extra $4 trillion just sloshing around the financial system, that's going to have a big impact on the stock market. So regardless of what is done or not done by uh, the president and Congress, an extra $4 trillion sloshing around the financial system, yeah, you, you're, you're gonna notice that. Yeah, I think for me, because I, I, these studies come out every election cycle in terms of how returns are uh, when, when one thing happens, uh, it's kind of an if then type thing. And it's always party affiliated. And to me, uh, you know, I, I actually, I studied government. I, I used to cover government. And, and I can tell you that as, as now moving to the investment sector, to me, it almost doesn't, ma doesn't matter. Because as Charles said, there are way more other things at play that drive the market than politics. Politics does have a big thing to do with it because you have regulation, you have other things like that. You have trading on news and, and, and the like. But at the end of the day- well, uh, Matt, uh, but one thing I would also add, 
politics matter if you're talking about going from, I don't know, Hong Kong style free market to Fidel Castro style communism? I mean, if you're talking about that kind of a swing, of course. But when you're talking about um, a moderate uh, democratic regime like what we have, where there's really not that much difference between the Republicans and Democrats. I mean, you're talking about it moves around it at the margins. Right. It, it's it's not a radical shift. Well, no matter what you see in the, in the press, it's not a radical shift. Yeah, and as an investor, it's just I, to me, I just I, it, it's just hard to pay attention to those types of things and, and make make those things actually matter. So, uh, real quickly, we're going to close it off right there. Uh, I want to give you each a little bit of time at the end to kind of close up. And Adam, I'll start with you. I'll just say, don't fight the Fed. <laughs> <laughs> Good philosophy. I mean, to, to, Char- to Charles's point, I mean, four trillion dollars sloshing around, and now that we've moved from monetary policy to stimulus to fiscal stimulus, and that's why a lot of folks are worried about inflation and looking for wage inflation. So you mentioned the two tr- trillion dollar infrastructure package, but that's about a third of what the Biden administration is doing. So uh, yeah, we're we're bullish on precious metals. We are looking for signs of inflation, but not necessarily loading up on that trade. And uh, but but yeah, at the end of the day, don't fight the Fed. They're the most powerful force in in the market like it or not and i think we should have uh, actually bull and bear t-shirts made up that actually say don't fight the fed i, I think that yeah. would be great charles sizemore parting shot for the weekend yeah what was the uh, i think johnny cash or maybe somebody else uh, i fought the law and the law won that wasn't johnny cash no, whoever that's that, not song. johnny cash yeah i think he covered it but yeah you know I, I fought the fed and the fed won i mean that that's how that would go so uh, i i would i would reiterate what adam said there the biggest force in the market right now is the Federal Reserve. And until that changes, and it will eventually change, eventually the Fed will determine that inflation is a problem and they'll raise interest rates. They'll start draining liquidity out of the system. And then we have potentially a big problem, but um, they've made it very clear they're not going to do that for at least the next year. So again, don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the Fed. There's your parting shot for the weekend. Now, I want to make sure that uh, if you're listening to this as an audio podcast, check out our YouTube channel. Just head over to YouTube.com, search Money and Markets. We've got the green bull and bear logo. Make sure you click on that. Find us, subscribe to the channel, and uh, get uh, notified each and every time we do post new content. You can check out a new video series, Ask Adam Anything. I get to sit down once a week and ask Adam O'Dell anything that you pose to me. It's it's a great thing. Uh, try to get him flustered on, on a regular basis. Sometimes it works. Most oftentimes it does not. Uh, also, Charles uh, Charles uh, Sizemore has a new video series, uh, Investing with Charles Sizemore. He gives you his take on stocks, uh, whether they're good investments for you. Uh, if you are looking for uh, you know insight into dividend investing, income investing, Charles is definitely your guy because he knows his stuff and and has it on on lockdown so and all that is on our youtube channel so make sure you are checking that out if you're on youtube subscribe if you're not on youtube go to youtube.com and subscribe leave us a uh, review and comment uh on on youtube or your favorite podcast syndicator we'd love to see your feedback if you have a question to their stock or sector you'd like us to take a look at um email us at the bull and the bear at moneymarkets.com we'd love to do that as well head over to moneymarkets.com sign up for our free daily e-letter in it we give you seven days of content safe, sound, smart, simple, profitable investment information all seven days of the week. Uh, say that five times fast and, and you'll get a gold star from me. Uh, and so we've got a lot more uh, coming up next week. So make sure that you are uh, locked into our YouTube channel or your favorite podcast indicator and listen to all that we have on Money and Markets as well as moneymarkets.com. Until then, uh, for uh, Charles Sizemore, Adam O'Dell, this is Money Markets Research Analyst, Matt Clark, the host of the Bull and the Bear podcast, wishing you all safe trading. You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a Money and Markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you. 